God's word today. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verse 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Right. So, last week, we took a look at what is the gospel, right? What's the meaning of the word gospel? Good news, right? And we looked, we looked at what is the gospel. We kind of just went through a little bit about the essence of the gospel. That is not necessarily bad news to bad news, that you're all... You're a sinner and you're going to hell. Well, that's true. <laughs> you know? But it's, it's actually good news to good news. That is, you were created by God. And you were created good. But sin messed each one of us up. Has turned us away. Has created in us a nature that is different. That is rebelling against God. And, and we need God to come and save us. And it's something that we can't do on our own. It has to be God's power Working in us. And that's what he's saying here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. It's not something that I can do on my own. And he says that, and Paul in his writings, he says that over and over again that it is not by your own works, it is by grace that this, this righteousness is a gift from God. In Romans chapter 5, you see that it's a gift from God that we just receive. Uh, from him again in Romans chapter three, he says, "You know, it's again a gift that we just receive from God, and it's that that theme of we can't do it on our own, but it is God who comes to rescue us, and that is the power of God." He says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation, that saves all the whole world." He says, "Not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody is saved only by the." power of God. And he says, within this gospel, a righteousness is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Okay? We'll talk a little bit about that. But first, let me... He says, he begins by saying, I'm not ashamed. Ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What are some of the reasons why do you, why you think there may be a reason to be ashamed of the gospel. Has anyone ever been embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel? Of being a follower of Jesus? Yeah? So what are some of the reasons? Why do you think that, that, that may be, that can happen? Sorry? Staying quiet. Yeah. Staying quiet and not fighting back. Yeah. Yeah, it's considered cowardice, right? Not reacting, not, yeah. Not reacting to what other people are doing. That can be considered as cowardice, isn't it? Yeah. True. When Jesus said, you know, someone slaps you on your right cheek, show the left cheek, that can seem so... Foolish, exactly, foolish. 
can be so counterintuitive, you know, for us to even live that way. Yeah. So, one reason is it can seem foolish. Any other reason? Sorry? To offend, yeah. So we don't want to offend people. So it can sometimes the the message of the gospel can seem offensive. What about this message is offensive? Yeah, specifically. Christ. He chose the version, yeah. Uh, can you can you be a little more descriptive? Yeah. 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 Right? To admit what we really are, that can be difficult, isn't it? Right? We don't like to do that, isn't it? And we might appear intolerant, especially when we say that it is only in God and only in what He has done through Jesus that we can be saved. That can appear to be intolerant, can even be offensive to some. So that can also be a reason why, you know? And it can also be considered foolish, you know, to say, why would you believe in just this one, you know? There can be so many different ways to the one, isn't it? And so that can also seem, you know, pretty, pretty foolish or, you know, pretty, you know, you're just pigeonholing yourself, you know, that can happen. Yeah. Any other reason? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gospel brings our entire life. It is, it is, it spans your entire life, isn't it? It's, it's, so it's not just about fulfilling certain requirements. Our whole life is impacted by it. And even the stuff that we don't want to deal with, we begin to, you know, we have to you know, sort of deal with it. So that's tough, yeah. Very vulnerable, yeah. Very vulnerable. And, and, and sometimes responding, the, responding to the gospel may seem like we're making ourselves more vulnerable or more, you know, and it can, it can seem pretty weak, you know. You know, it can seem pretty weak. Right? And this is something that we are dealing with, but it is not new. It is something that even Paul in his day and age, was also dealing with. The gospel, for some people, seemed pretty foolish. It doesn't seem very complicated. It doesn't seem very high-sounding. Right? God came and he gave his life and we just respond to that and, and find forgiveness in him. It doesn't seem pretty complicated. It seems pretty foolish. And then to respond to that and to live your life in the light and follow in the way of this Jesus, it can seem pretty foolish. And it can also seem pretty weak. And that is something that even him and in his day, he dealt with. For example, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses, uh, verses 20 to 24. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20 to 24. You see that he's, he's dealing with that kind of reasoning, right? And so he's, he's talking about that, in, in, you know, where people are saying, you know, the gospel doesn't sound 
you know, we have greater philosophers. You know, that was the, that was the Greek and Roman age. That was the age of uh, Plato and, and all of those philosophers who had so much to say, right? And since the gospel doesn't seem to, you know, be as weighty as all of these other philosophies. And so he's dealing with that. And so he says, again, in, in verses 20 to 24, he's, he's talking about that he's, because the Corinthian church is also going through that. And he says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right? What is he saying? He's saying, it can seem foolish for this day and age, but for those of us who have experienced it, Christ is the wisdom of God and Christ is the power of God. Everybody say wisdom. Everybody say power. Right? Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God for us who are being saved. For those, those of us who know that all the philosophies in this world, all the, all the things that we can hear take us only up to a certain point. Right? All the self-help books. I mean, I've read so many self-help books because I need a lot of help. Right? And so I've read and I've read and I've read, but I've discovered that they can only go so far into, into dealing with our mind and our soul. But there's nothing I can do to help this part of me that is separate from God. This part of me that I find continuing to deviate from God. This, this inclination that I have towards unrighteousness. There's nothing that I can do on my own self. It has to be God's power in me. Right? I mean, self-help books are great. And I've, I've benefited greatly from a great number of them. But what I am trying to say is there is a limit to how much that, that can do for us in terms of you know, how that can, that can help us live the life that we were created to live. Right? And that's where we need God's power. He says it's, it's not from us. It's outside of us. It's outside of us. It's like, it's, like, it's like you look in the mirror and you see dirt on your face, right? Now just seeing the dirt on your face is not going to help, right? Or just taking your hands and rubbing the dirt all over your face is not going to help, isn't it? You've got to take something outside of yourself, maybe a soap or some kind of towel to clean yourself up, right? And that's what he's saying. That's, that's the power of God. We can't do it on our own. It has to be God working inside of us, helping us and making us what we were intended to be. Right? So there were two things he says. He says the Greeks are looking for wisdom. Right? And the Jews are looking for signs, he says. The Greeks are looking for wisdom because that's the Greek age. That was the age when... The, you know, people would sit around and they would discuss great ideas, philosophies. And that was the, that was the pastime of, of people in that age. 
If you, if you remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul walks into, um, you know, uh, it was, uh, what's it called? Uh, huh? Yeah, Agora. Huh? Yeah, it's a public place, exactly. He walks into a public place where there are people sitting around and that was what they did. They sat around and they discussed the latest philosophy, the latest high-sounding theory. Man, have you heard this guy? Have you heard this guy? Have you heard this guy? And so Paul comes around there, there and he begins to talk to them. Because that was the, that age, the Greeks were looking for wisdom. They loved it. Right? And the Jews were looking for signs, for God to do something on their behalf. Right? Looking for wisdom. So when we think about the gospel, right? We want, we want our message to stand, you know, in line or at par with the message of this age. You know, and we're, we're looking for that. You know, I remember as a kid, or, you know, as a teenager growing up, we would get so excited when some celebrity says the name Jesus. Right? Did that happen to you? Like somebody is receiving their Oscar award or someone would, you know, receive a music award and they'd say, this is all because of Jesus. You know, and we get so excited by that. Right? Uh, and we'd feel a little more cool, you know, say, okay, so-and-so believes in Jesus, so you know, it must be good, you know, to believe in Jesus, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what their lifestyle was like, but as long as they said the word Jesus, man, they're one of us, you know, right? And it felt good, right? And, and, and in many ways, we are also like that, right? Because we want our message to sort of had up. And yes, it's important to reason out things. And yes, we want to do that. But we want it to somehow stand abreast with all the other philosophies, all the other ideas of our age. And that's what was happening even then. You see. But the, the, the problem with this is our boasting, our pride is more in the language, in the ideas, and even in the people who are following. You know, the great mass of people who are following. You know, we say, we are number one. We are the largest. We are the biggest group. And so our, our pride is more in all of these things rather than in the cross of Jesus. You getting that? Yeah. And he's saying that's a, that's a problem there. Because we are, we are more concerned about, you know, whose name and who's there and and how our ideas are sounding rather than thinking about the cross of Christ and how that, in the cross of Jesus, the power of God is at work within each one of us on a daily basis. So it becomes more about the ideas. He says, then, he says, the Jews are looking for signs. They're looking for God to show up in some way. God to sort of prove himself. You know, what is a sign? A sign is basically a signboard. It's pointing to something. Right? It's pointing to a greater truth. That's what a sign does. But so many of us, just like the Jews, we can get stuck in, Lord, give me a sign. Right? Give me a sign. Show me that you're there. Prove yourself to me. I remember a friend of mine who would keep saying, I, I, uh, you know, um, and, and he would keep coming to me, and, uh, you know, uh, and this was when I was in college, he would say, if God does this and this, then I'll believe. If God does this and this, then I'll believe. And God showed up, and, and in different ways, God would show up in his life, because he was an atheist, and, and God would, you know, there would be something that would happen. 
And he would even, there was even one point where he acknowledged, I think there is a man or there is someone up there. But we get stuck in the sign. We don't move on from there to what that sign is pointing us to. Right? But the Jews were looking for signs. And signs are not meant to be the end of the journey. It's meant to prod you on towards the next part of the journey. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 16 to 19, I'll just read it out. He said, to what can I compare this generation? Matthew 11, 16 to 19. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to others, saying, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. See that there? Jesus is saying, that's what the generation is like. Saying, we sang, we, we, we played a tune, and you did not dance. What are we trying to do? We, just like the Jews, we also try to you know, get God to do what we want. God, if you do this then I will. Right? What are we trying to do? God, you do. You make the first move. We, we try to get God to do what we want. It's almost like God is like our personal, you know, genie, exactly, like a personal genie, or, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a jester in a court, you know, dance, I'm going to play a tune, dance for me, right? <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and we try to do that, isn't it? Even though we don't, we don't overtly say it, but that's, sometimes that can become the way we deal with God. We're constantly dealing with God. You give, I give. You give, I give. You give, I give. You know? We're constantly making those deals with God. Right? And that's what the Jews were doing. They were looking for signs. They were looking for God to show up in some way. Right? What kind of signs? Definitely not this sign. Because this sign doesn't make sense. For the Jews especially, this sign would not make sense. That is why for Paul, he uses this word. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Because in this gospel, there is the message of Jesus who was crucified. And in the Jewish message, a crucified Messiah is someone that, something that you could not understand. Because according to the Jews, anyone who is, who is nailed to a tree is actually cursed. And so how can God be cursed? He says, no, 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 no way. So for the Jewish mind, they could not understand that. It was, it was foolishness to them. Are you hearing me? Yeah? And so they're saying, no way, this is not the sign that we want. We don't want this sign. We want God to show up in some other way. We want God to maybe part the Red Sea again. Or God to, you know, destroy our enemies. Or God to maybe overthrow the Romans. But definitely not this sign. That's not the sign that we are looking for. You getting that? And so, what are they doing? Jesus says they're like children playing a tune and saying, God, why are you not dancing? Why are you not singing with us? He's saying, because God is doing something different, but they're not able to see it. See, because they're, they're, they're looking for signs, but they're looking for signs that suit them rather than signs that God is trying to show them. Are you getting that? And that can happen to everyone. It's happened in history. You see, because this sign is something that a lot of people struggle with. Paul himself struggled with it. That's why he resisted the gospel. We know that Paul, he was, a, he was an enemy of those who believed in Jesus. 
and he resisted the gospel. Even Peter struggled with it, right? Peter was all okay as long as Jesus was talking kingdom language. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. And Peter is getting so excited. Yes, the kingdom of God is coming. We're going to be reigning with Jesus. Those Romans are going to be under our feet. And he, was, he, was, he had more of a, a militant kind of a, a gospel. Right? But he could not understand. He could not reconcile. In fact, even when Jesus would say, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, they're going to capture me. There was one time he took Jesus aside and he actually scolded Jesus for talking that way. He said, no, you shouldn't be speaking that way. Because that was not a sign that he understood. Even when Jesus was captured and he was in trial, he was there, he was warming himself by the fire. And somebody came to Peter and said, you're also one of them. And Peter said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not one of them. I don't even know him. You see? You see the struggle with accepting a sign that God gave and the shame that they had to deal with? And for Paul to go on and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, is something that he has come, he has surrendered to this sign of God rather than trying to make God show a sign that suits him. In fact, all through the Bible we see people demanding signs or, or trying to prove themselves to God. Trying to say, hey, we can do things ourselves. The problem with signs is, signs don't necessarily help our faith in the long run. I remember as a child, I would, I would say this. Not as a child, but maybe as a little older than a child. But I would say, if God would just show up and do this one massive miracle for me, then I would believe in him. Nothing would shake my faith. Right? If God would just you know, do this one massive thing, like, you know, huh? Yeah, like a math test or, you know, a glass is falling off the table and I say stop and it stops midair. You know, just one thing. You know, just do that one thing. You know, just move that chair from here to there and I'll believe nothing, nothing will shake my faith. Has anyone thought that way? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Some of us have, yeah. I used to think that way. I used to think, you know, just move that chair one inch and I'll believe nothing will ever, I'll never ask for another thing again. I'll believe you for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> but the problem with science is it doesn't help our faith in the long run. Because faith in God is not just about the acts of God. Faith in God is also about this ongoing relationship with God. Signs can help us point us in the right direction, can prod us forward. But if we just stay in this signs realm and say, God, you just show me, then I'm going to do it. You just show me and then I'm going to respond. If you just stay here, we're never going to be able to move into the relationship part of knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus on a daily basis because that's also not going to make sense to us. The one group of people in the Bible, for example, who saw massive signs... Signs of God are who? The people of Israel, isn't it? Right? They saw so many signs. Right? Imagine in your lifetime, if you saw you know, uh, darkness come over the land, or you saw the, the river Nile turn into blood, or you saw the plague of frogs on your enemies, and you saw the Red Sea parting, you saw you know, God providing in the wilderness, you saw all of those things. Imagine if you saw all of those things in your lifetime, you would think, you would never doubt, isn't it? You and I would think we would never ever doubt 
who God is. Right? But was that true for the people of Israel? No. Because every time God would show up with a sign, the next time they went through a struggle, they began to doubt the signs. And that's the problem with signs. If we just stay in signs, now I'm not talking about signs as in chemistry, biology, I'm talking about signs as in S-I-G-N-S, signs. <laughs> if we just stay in this, and we say, God just keeps showing me, what will happen is over time, we will either rationalize it, saying, oh, this happened because of this, 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 this. Or we will debunk it, saying, ah, that was not a sign. Right? Or we will have some way to, you know, to, to discount it, saying, oh, this happened because so-and-so was there, and it's just a massive big coincidence. You getting that? That's the problem with science. And so that's what happened with the people of Israel as well. They saw these great things happen, but then when they went through those struggles, the experiences could not anchor them in a relationship. They needed to move further, right? And that's why, that's what Paul is dealing with here. In fact, in our age too, we do echo these kind of things. We do echo, for example, what Nimrod said in Genesis 11. He says, we can build ourselves up. We can do things for ourselves. We don't need God. We can, in fact, be good without God. We can do that. And, and in fact, that's the, that is part of what we see even in the world today, right? But the question is what, is, what is God doing through the cross? Is he just trying to make us good people? Or is he trying to do something more? Or it'll be like Goliath facing David. And Goliath said, he said in 1 Samuel 17, he said, am I a dog? Looking at David, he said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David. And he said, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. It did not make sense to Goliath. That this, this little boy who had so much of faith in him would come. But David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and the spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. When did David's faith begin? Did his faith begin the moment he realized he had to, he had to face Goliath? Is that the time he said, just hang on Goliath, let me just go and pray for a little bit. And then he prayed and he, and he, and he kind of, you know, did all that and he spoke positive things and then he went and faced Goliath. Did he do that at that time? When did his faith begin? Right? Sorry? Yeah. Right? He had a history with God that, was, that started much before his time with Goliath. He had a history of a relationship with God. You know, one of those famous psalms that we often hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. I mean, he must have been, you know, experiencing that from God as a personal history. As he was taking care of his sheep, he was thinking about how God's taking care of him. He's saying, I may be a shepherd of these sheep, but the Lord is my shepherd. You know, he's the one who leads me through those thick and thin, through the darkness, through those valleys. He's the one who does that for me. You know? So his history with God started much before David. 
Sorry, Goliath. In fact, when Saul asked him, do you have any experience in battle? He said, no, I don't have any experience in battle, but when I was taking care of the sheep, one time a lion came. He's just speaking matter-of-factly. One time a lion came, and God helped me, you know, face the lion. And one another time a bear came, and God helped me face the bear. I don't know how many of us would be able to say something like that so simply, you know. Yeah, a lion came the other day. <laughs> you know. But he has, that, I mean, it's just so matter-of-fact to him, because that's not the important thing. So the thing is, for us, when we see a sign from God, that becomes the most important thing. God has blessed me with this great new model car, or this great phone, or laptop, or whatever. That becomes the main thing. Right? But for David, the sign was just the point, pointer to God, and God was the main thing. You get it? And that's the difference. If you're focusing on signs, that becomes the main thing. But then, he's saying, yeah, the lion and the bear came, but God. You know, you see the emphasis there? God is the main thing. And he's saying, yeah, those signs are there. God did all that, but he is my shepherd. You know, he is with me. He says, I'm coming to you, Goliath. Not, it's, not with great, you know, weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel. I am coming to you in his name, and he will give, give you into my hands, he says. You see, here's a man who's speaking from a long history of a relationship with God. And that is what God is trying to do. God is trying to help us come into relationship with Him. God is trying to help us, deliver us from ourselves, keep us from standing in our own way, and allow Him to continue to work in us. And He realizes, He knows that we can't do that on our own. And that's why He says, He sent Jesus, not in a way that we understand, but in a way that God is doing something really powerful in each one of our lives. So the sign that God gave for each one of us is the cross. Is that when Jesus died on the cross, in giving his life for us, he took on himself our sin, our shame. He bore the punishment that we were supposed to bear so that we can, through the cross, find peace with God. Yeah? But the problem, I think, for many of us is that the cross becomes a sign that we just admire. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful sign. And we hang it on our necks or we, we, you know, we, we put different crosses here and there and we, we look at it and we admire the cross of Christ. But to come to the cross of Christ is to acknowledge that this God who is the creator, took on flesh, and he came to give his life as a ransom for us, taking the punishment that we were, supposed to, we were supposed to bear, so that we don't have to face that punishment, so that now we can be in relationship with God. So that now we can now walk with God and have his power in us transform us on a daily basis. That's a little bit of tough work, isn't it? It's like the guy who falls in love with this beautiful girl and he, he loves the way she looks. He loves everything about her, right? And he loves the fact that and eventually if they get married, they get married and he loves the fact that they get married. But then what happens after the, the wedding? 
that ha- that's when the you know the real work of sustaining that relationship begins isn't it and for a lot of people for some people who say you know if i get married to that girl i will be the happiest person nobody else you know i mean nothing can shake my joy i mean if i get married to this girl right if i get married to so and so then my life will be fixed right but just look at how many relationships are not surviving even though they're married to really really attractive and successful people why because it takes more more than just getting married but it takes more character more substance to sustain a relationship right and that's so much like how many of us even approach the cross we've appropriated we we thank god for his forgiveness but so many times we are we are looking at it more as a sign rather than moving forward into a sustained everyday life changing life transforming relationship with god where he is influencing the direction of our lives where he's infusing our lives with purpose where he's communicating to us who we are meant to be and helping us move towards that goal of becoming more like him in his power and in his strength that is what the cross does and the thing about the cross of jesus is we can either deny it we can be ashamed of it or we can sing about it but not really live live by it or we can suppress it we can be offended by it we can be broken by it right because there's some things in our life we just don't want to deal with right and it can happen and we can live that way but god's asking us god's saying that this cross is not just meant to be a sign in our lives but it's meant to be a sign that leads us forward into the next thing of a relationship with god and that's what that's what paul is saying here he's saying i'm not ashamed of the gospel of jesus i'm not ashamed of this good news why because in this good news though i am unrighteous a righteousness that is outside of me has come to me to make me righteous to make me right with god yeah to make me right with him it is by his power alone right and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks about about this righteousness and what that really means because when you talk about righteousness it's god's ability to make the unrighteous righteous god's ability to make the unholy holy but then we move on from there where this righteousness starts manifesting itself from the inside out it begins to transform our way of thinking a way of living a way of relating begins to transform these different areas of our lives and i know sometimes it can seem a pretty um you know uh quick of me to just say transform it almost seems like it's happening in an instant but a lot of times it takes it takes a journey for us to walk with god and see those and so a lot of transformation i see in my life i see in hindsight i may not see it in the moment cuz in the moment it feels like man i'm a big mess <laughs> or i'm struggling or or it's not working out or or i don't know how and there may be a lot of questions in the moment but in those moments as you keep coming back to god and say god you know just like david would say you know even though i walk through the valley i know that you're with me even as we do that 
you know, we trust in God and then we see how God begins to lead us, you know, forward. And so that's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I proudly hold it high, even though once it seemed so nonsensical to me, once it seemed so foolish, it seemed so weak to me, but today I realize that in the gospel, it is God's power that is enabling me to, life, to live the life that I was created to live. Yeah, and that's the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, we're going to take a few moments just to reflect on this. And uh, I'd like you to just turn your chairs and maybe just have groups of four or five and just kind of talk about what are some of the, some of the key things that, that, that spoke to your heart today, right? And just take a few moments to pray with each other as we do that, yeah? So you can feel free to just turn your chairs around. We'll just have a little time to talk about two or three things that really spoke to you today and, uh, and just take a, take a moment to pray together and then we will close.